welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Even though it's been about 36 years since I came to know who Jesus Christ really is. That moment is so fresh in my heart and my mind, it changed my life forever. So let me tell you what happened. And for the sake of time, and so I don't ramble, I will refer to notes. My name is Marie San Juan, as Pastor Ham said. I grew up in the Midlands here in Ireland. I'm the seventh child in a family of 13. And for whatever reasons, I was just a really miserable kid. I was just born with a really sad, unhappy disposition. <clears throat> oh, sure, I could blame my circumstances and people like my family, people I hung out with, etc., etc. And no doubt, our upbringing and our environment may have some effect and does affect our lives. They do not determine who we are. My teenage years and my young adult life was very tumultuous, to say the very least. I walked a dark path of promiscuity, immorality, alcohol abuse, later on drug abuse. By my early 20s, my life was one of great pain, heartache, shame, so many regrets. I really hit rock bottom. I reached a place of deep sorrow and almost like a numbness kind of unfeeling. And I knew I had to make a choice. I knew that if I stayed there, it was only a matter of time till I would figure out a way to end the misery. And somewhere in my mind, I thought there's maybe something else out there, bigger than I am, greater than I am. Having a Catholic background, I learned about heaven and hell. And I was terrified what would happen if I carried out that plan. Now, religion was not part of my life. But what if these places really did exist? And from about the age seven, I knew I, wasn't going, I was not good enough to make it to heaven. So I decided to start over somewhere else. So 30 pounds in my pocket back then, pounds, a one-way ticket, a couple of meager possessions, I boarded a plane for the United States. I lived with a very loving, caring family. Initially, life was great. About five weeks after I arrived, I enrolled in school, college, got certified to do what I love to do most, work with children. As much as I love my new life, I still struggled with old habits and old addictions. It wasn't long before I ended up Back the same as it was. Bad choice. My weekends then just became party time. I was miserable. I was so powerless. Now this went on for about eight years. And then one morning, it's about nine o'clock in the morning. I'm at home, sitting on the stairs. I'm all alone and I am pitching an absolute fit. Now, I've learned since that the Bible calls those fits of rage. I was ranting and raving and yelling. Everything around me just felt real negative, yucky, like basically evil. Suddenly, I come to my senses and I realize I'm yelling at God. The words that I heard myself saying absolutely terrified me. And I began to tremble uncontrollably. And I thought, I am a dead woman. You do not live like that. i speak like that, I'm sorry, and live. I bawled crying. And I kept saying, I didn't know I was addressing you. I didn't know I was talking to you. I cried for a long time. Finally, I stopped crying, but I couldn't stop shaking. So I managed to make my way down, sat on the couch. I just kind of curled up on the collar, just sitting there, waiting. I don't know for what. 
I was so terrified and I was so afraid. And then the most amazing, incredible thing came, happened. I sensed somebody in the room, although I couldn't see anybody, and the presence was real calm, peaceful, still, very quiet. And somehow I knew that I was in the presence of something holy, something right, something positive, or maybe something divine. I had a real sense of whatever I had heard about Jesus, I had a sense of that. It was so beautiful. It felt so accepted, loved, alive. And I didn't want the moment to end. We glanced at my watch. It was 10.30. I sat there reflecting what had just happened. And I concluded, you finally lost it. Oh, but wait, no, something had happened. I couldn't grasp it and I couldn't comprehend it. I needed to relax to kind of get my thoughts together. Just So I flipped on the TV and I'm mindlessly flipping through the channels. And the next thing, a voice comes from the TV and says, don't change the channel. I was like, all right, I won't. And for about one minute, this individual starts answering questions in my head and the thoughts were going through my mind. I was absolutely blown away. And finally he said, you have tried everything else. Look to him. Admit you're a sinner. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and commit your life to him. Well, it was very easy for me to admit I was a sinner. I did just that. I asked Jesus to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins. Instantly, I felt like about 400 pounds had been lifted from my shoulders. All of a sudden, I felt very light, very free. And the anger and the, num the numbness and the hatred just all seemed to start like ebbing away. I went outside, everything looked so different, cleaner, brighter, fresher. I looked up in the sky under the rainbow, and I just started to thank God. I learned God is a very personal God, <clears throat> and I have a personal relationship with him. He's my father. He loves me so much. He came down from heaven, gave his life on the cross as a ransom for my sin. I now have eternal life. I'm on my way to heaven. He rescued me. I have a constant companion. My creator, who knows me more than I know myself. His word, the Bible, is the absolute gospel truth. And everything that was written there was written for me to teach me so that through the endurance taught in those scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, I might have hope. I love the Lord. I really do. I can't help talking about him. I love to tell people about him. I'm so looking forward to that day when I will be with him in heaven forever. Beautiful paradise. I made my choice by his amazing grace to accept him and eternal life. It matters not of how good or how bad we think we are. We're all born with the same hereditary to sin. But God loves us. Take a look at God's moral law. You'll know them as the Ten Commandments. Don't take God's name in vain. Don't steal. Don't tell lies. See how you measure up. We've all broken them, many of them, many times. If you look, look at it this way. If you look at a white sheep against a green hillside, it looks white. Put that same sheep up against a hillside that has glistening white snow. Doesn't look so clean after all. 
all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that I have been saved. And it's true faith. I didn't do anything to earn it. It's a gift of God. The Bible now tells me that I'm an ambassador for Christ. So if you're sitting under the sound of my voice, and you personally do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, God is making his appeal through me. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You are so sweet to listen to me this morning. Thank you so much. Marie, thank you. Really, thank you so much. Hallelujah. What a blessing. What an absolute blessing. You've heard a person's testimony of how Jesus Christ changed her, forgave her, wiped away her past, gave her a clean sheet, gave her a new beginning, and that can be yours. You heard her imploring you. And if you're sensing that this morning, that is the tug of the Holy Spirit. That's God's heart, God's hand reaching to you, telling you that you can have the same deliverance, you can have the same touch. For God's no respecter of persons. He doesn't think the higher of one or than the other. He loves us all the same. And salvation is all the same. The, the, as I've heard people say, at the, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And it can be yours today. Amen. Thank you so much, Marie front of the church. It's, it's Pastor Nick's brother-in-law. You know, Isaac, he sings here, writes beautiful songs. Great guy. He's, uh, he's a chip off the old block, as they say. But Charlie's going to come up. And he's going to share his story now about how God touched his life. And uh, we just welcome you up, Charlie. God bless you. You're a great friend of the church. Um, and I, I think he also has a song for us. So here we go. Come on, Charlie. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, for welcoming me here today. Uh, my name is Charlie Ward, as we heard there. Uh, yeah, yeah, but Isaac is the son. Uh, we just want to um, give you a short testimony today because I was going to go back a bit, but it will be here till Christmas. Um, but yeah, well, oh, well. so I, I'm a bit of a blow in myself, actually, because um, we were raised in, in a place called Leeds, in Yorkshire, in the, the northeast of England, uh, so <laughs> I can't apologise enough for that. Um, yeah, it was a time when uh, Leeds United were top of the league, so you can imagine how, how long ago that was. So uh, the parents were, were Catholic background, we, we, we did everything, and they were really good people. I can't speak highly enough of uh, my mother and father and my two sisters. One has since gone to be with the Lord, my sister Sandra. Um, they moved back to Cork anyway, late 70s, so I'm going to fast track on a little bit. Uh, they moved back here to live. And around 1980, I had a job in the, what was then the regional hospital, which is now the CUH. And I wasn't a brain surgeon, I can tell you that. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I worked there for a while, so, they, so I'm alleged, I allegedly worked there. Uh, and I met a man there called Brendan Dunbar. So hang on to that name for a while, and I'll come back to, to, to Dunbar later on. But um, we, we were just we were really just a bunch of messers, to be honest, and we had a great crack and all that kind of stuff and enjoyed life. Uh, I wouldn't say that we, we were law... We didn't go out and do anything intentionally wrong, but I always kind of had this thing in my heart, you know. I remember when I was 18, I used to write poetry about is there a life after and is there something out there beyond? And it was always kind of chugging away at me all through the years. Anyway, I got very bored out in the regional, you know, like chasing fellas up and down the corridors with fire extinguishers on night duty, you know, I know, uh, and, and other things we can't get into today, but uh, it was good crack, but I was getting very bored and I thought, Lord, well, I didn't say Lord at that stage, you know, I was in my heart, I was saying, is there anything else that I could be doing with my life? So I, um, I thought, you know, um, I'll head off to London and see 
what the big bright lights of Trafalgar Square would hold for someone like me. So I was still playing the guitar because I'd always been practicing away and making a dreadful noise, according to the mother, uh, in, in the bedroom. You know, sometimes you'd be playing upstairs and the mother would hit the ceiling with the brush handle. You know, can you keep it down a small bit? <laughs> so anyway, so I went to London, met a few friends and got another job. And I thought, this is it. No, this is London. This, this is really exciting. And um, it, it actually wasn't exciting at all. It was a disaster. Um, it, it was just what I felt about that place. It was in 1981, actually, I went there. So the timeline is going to go very fast after this. But in, in January 81, uh, I was there, yes, and in that place of work. And I was walking through a tube station one day, uh, and, and all the doors opened, as they do, and all the people just came out like an avalanche, just bodies everywhere. And I thought, my goodness, you, you, you could drop down dead here, and they'd, they'd just walk over you. I felt so anonymous and so unnecessary. That's the only word I can think of. And I thought, my goodness, I, I don't have any friends. I don't know, except the guys that I was sharing a house with. And this is such a big place. There's so many people. And you could lose your significance very, very quickly. And at the time, there was a band called UB40. And they had a song out called I Am The One In Ten. Just a, just a, a number on the list. A number on the list. A statistical reminder of a world that doesn't care. And I thought, I just felt this. I can't live here. I, can't, I can't, definitely can't put my bed down here. So at the end of, of 1981, I came back to Cork City and um, it was Christmas, it was bleak, it was snowy, it was cold, uh, a typical Irish summer's day. And uh, I went, yeah, and then I went to, uh, I just thought, well, where can I go here? Because I've disconnected now and I've, I've lost my contacts and I just felt on my heart to call to Brendan Dunbar. So for some reason, and see how he, how he is getting along. Uh, so I went to his house, knocked on the door. Brendan said, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Come on in, you know, sit down. But he said, hey, just keep it down a small bit. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, I, I've joined this, um, this other church now. He said, I've, well, I, I didn't know what he was actually talking about. But he said, I'm one of the born agains, you know. <laughs> he said, don't tell the mother. Uh, so he had a Bible under the couch. Um, and he was saying, well, keep it down, keep it down a small bit. But he said, you can take this away with you. Uh, if you're going back to wherever you're going, and, and read it. And, but he said, look, I have a motorbike outside the door, and we'll go to a prayer meeting. It sounded all very exciting. And um, <laughs> I had a clue what was going on. And Brendan said, look, I'll bring you to a church on Sunday morning, and I'll bring you to a prayer meeting. Tonight. So we were on the back of, I was on the back of the motorbike. I've been on the back of Pastor Nick's motorbikes to our own Kerry. Is it <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> but anyway, so... Um, you can imagine it was pre-helmet days. There was no tax insurance or nothing on the bike and no helmet. And it was freezing. I always remember that it was very freezing, no, the way my head is. But, but back then it was really cold. And Brendan said, look, we're going up to a prayer meeting. And I went into a room and people were praying in tongues, which, I, which, I, which was even stranger again to me. I said, what's going on at all? But I knew the Holy Spirit was dealing with me all the time. I was kind of thinking, what is this? How is this adding up? You know, Cork, London, London, um, back to Cork. I'm all, I'm all over the place here. Anyway, um, I received this. I just want to show it to you know, um, from Brendan and, and maybe another friend. And this is a Gideon's Bible. It's a small little book and it should have a blue cover, but somebody ate it or, or, or it fell off somewhere. But that's what's left of it. And um, I've got the date. I know you can't see it from here, but it says the 9th of January, 1982. The 9th of the 1st, 82. And, and, and that's it. And, and I was looking this morning and I was looking at all the passages that I underlined because I went back to England after I left Brendan that Christmas and I went up north, as they say, back to where we actually came from, way Fado, and I got involved with a group there, a music group, and we started playing. But I always kept in touch with this. This, this was chugging away at my heart all the time. I was with a fellow called Bob and we played some working men's clubs and that was a disaster as well, actually. But, but um, I began to read this little book and it jumped. Oh, it's, it came alive to my heart. I can't tell you how much... Uh, how precious the word of God is. You know, it says in the Bible that it, it, it's, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And it was, it, was, it was pricking, it was cajoling my spirit all the time. And I read stuff, and I've got it underlined here, I read a little verse, and it's one of my favourite chapters in the New Testament, among many, but one of my favourites is Acts 17. The God who made the world and all, it, all its contents, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples built by men's hands, uh, and, and I was always kind of going into churches, you know, empty buildings, 
I was a Catholic, but I was going during the day sometimes to find, to, I don't know, I was just searching, I was searching. And then I discovered he's not, he, he's not in those temples, those buildings, but he, um, he is the giver of life and breath and all things to everyone. He has made from one person every nation of men to settle on the entire surface of the earth, uh, definitely appointing the pre-established periods and boundaries of their settlements. There's big words here in this one now, so just bear with me, I'm nearly finished. But he did this so that they might seek for God. He did this so that they might seek God if only they would feel for and find him, although he is not far from each one of us. Dear friend at home, he's not far from you today. He's not far away. He might be just a prayer away. And um, I took this book and I read it. And during my time back up in the north in Leeds, my sister Sandra, that I mentioned earlier, she came over to join us at my auntie's house. And she said, she said uh, how are you getting on? I said, grand. She said, you know what? She said, I've become one of the born-agains as well. And she's become, she, she got saved here while I was over there. And I said, how did, how did you get, what do you mean, like? I'm, all, I, all I'm doing is reading the Bible. She said, yeah, but I am, I'm a born-again Christian, and I, I, I met your friend, Brendan. So I thought, Brendan is converting the whole world. <laughs> I said, so she said, you need to go to church. You need to go. And so we went down to a little church called Emmanuel Pentecostal. I'll never forget it. Lovely bunch of people, beautiful people. We spent three months there. We came back to Cork in 1983 in January, and we joined another church over that was in Carol's Key called the Upper Room. And many, many years have gone but, you know, I, I can only give all the glory and honor to Jesus Christ. You know, uh, those last few years we, we spent in, those, in that church, you know, a lot of evangelism, street work. It was all great training and preparation. Got married in, in, um, in uh, oh God, what is it again? <laughs> yeah, you know the one, yeah. 1987, sorry everyone. 1987, and uh, just had six kids, by the way, uh, as you do, uh, and, and, and so on. But God has blessed me. Um, you know, sometimes I listen to testimonies, and, and there's a big bang somewhere. There's a, the bomb drops. Somebody was one of the Cray twins. Well, but then, but then it'd, be tri- it'd, be tri- it'd be triplets then, though, wouldn't it? But, uh, you, you know, so, and I think, well, I'm, I don't fit into that. And I haven't taken a, an, an ATM machine out of the wall with, with one of those combined harvesters. So am I that bad, Lord? And the Lord said, well, you actually, you are, you know, as, as our sister shared, we're all like sheep who've gone astray. So I knew I was a sinner. God was convicting me through his word because he has appointed a day when he will judge the world. And I knew I was, I was deeply in need of a savior. I knew it from the time I walked through the tubes in London. I knew it there. I knew the loneliness of the world, the isolation. You know, you think you have friends, but they're not really there. They're not there, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus Christ, you know, and, and he's kept me over those years. We've been to Eastern Europe many, many times working with children, doing camps and things. And, but, but nothing really satisfies the soul, only Jesus Christ. You, you know, all our works are filthy. Even as a Christian, sometimes you have to kind of repent and say, Lord, I need to come back. I need to come back. I need to come back. So I'm going to do a little song because all through my life, I've been tipping around with the old banjo, the guitar, and I've written a few tunes. And um, I just want to say to you today, you know, wherever you are in Cork City, if you come from Blarney Street or way up in the Glen, if you live in Farnry, wherever, my friend, Jesus loves you. If you come from Bishopstown or down the Albert Road, from Knocknaheeny or no fixed abode, Jesus Christ loves you and he died on a cross for you. For the love of God still reaches out to Cork, to you and to me and rebels if we turn to him his grace will set us free praise god i won't sing that one anyway but so it's a little tune uh, based on john's gospel and all it's saying and i'm going to finish now all it's simply saying is he will never turn you away friend wherever you are you might not be the big bank 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 robber you might be a very religious person you may be just somebody searching like myself who could have got away with, I'm not a bad guy kind of thing, because all the time we hear that on the streets, well, I'm not that, but sure, I didn't do much wrong, really. But we are sinners, we are separated. We need to come back to Jesus Christ. And you know, in these difficult times, we want to encourage you today to turn to the Lord, to turn to the Lord. You know, don't, don't be worried about what people think. Like Brendan told me he was born again, my sister, God rest her, uh, singing with the saints now in glory, born again. You know, we need that, we need that new nature. Otherwise, our religious endeavours lead to nothing. There's no fruit in that. So praise God. I'll just do this little show now 
and um, I'll be on my way. And thanks again. Praise God uh, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Uh, yeah, the other thing I just want to say quickly is our times are in his hands. Our times are in his hands. And one word the Lord spoke to me a few months ago. He said, don't worry about the news. It's going to be bad and it's going to, it might even get worse. But you know, when, when, when you read this, it's, it's the best news you could ever have in your spirit, in your heart, in your life. Go back to the word of God, friend. Go back and read it and meditate on it. As it says in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law. Day and night his soul will prosper. In Jesus' name, Lord, help us to do that as we go through this uh, season at the moment. Lord, thank you. You never turn us away. Amen. No, just 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 reminded me. Thanks, Andy. Just reminded me that I'm, that Isaac has a lot in common with me. That he's always forgetting the words of the songs. <laughs> so I have actually, it's bad news when you have to bring the words of your own song. <laughs> And if anyone comes to you, Jesus, you will turn their night into day. You will never turn them away. Lord, you will never turn us away. So oh. 
touched my heart with your words and promises. You gave a brand new start, made me born again. Jesus, healing Jesus, you have taken all my sins. The golden all these days. Thanks a million. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Charlie. God bless you, Charlie. Thank you so much, my friend. Amen. I have some tremendous memories. Charlie's my brother-in-law, by the way. And uh, when he talked about motorbikes, do you remember that trip to Kerry? <laughs> the two of us. In the... <laughs> I'm driving. He's on the back. We've got guitar, we've got a guitar strapped to the side. We've got tents on the back. And it's a 125cc. We were like two elephants uh, on, on a, I don't know what, what it was, but praise God, some happy memories. And I was the best man at his wedding. Shouldn't have been actually. It was my, my, my sister lobbied for me to be the best man. Uh, it should have been Brendan Dunbar because he was your best friend. But oh my word, uh, all those years. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Uh, so many wonderful memories. I, I do remember when Charlie got saved, and I remember the passion. Uh, that he had and still has for the Lord. Um, when you get to know people like Charlie and Marie, you, you very quickly begin to see how they love to talk about Jesus. You know, they love to talk about someone who's not a mythical figure to them. He's not some storyline. It's not a Disney World story. It's, he's someone that has transformed and changed their lives. And that is why This Is My Story is on once a month here at Cork Church on a Sunday morning. Because there are thousands of people out there, actually millions of people out there this morning. And they're trapped in their own homes with nothing to contend with but their own thoughts. Yeah. Uh, they're Netflixed out of it now. There's nothing else really worth watching. It's repeats. It's boring. It's monotonous. I really empathize with you. <laughs> for those of that's you, about the boredom and monotony of life. And sometimes you get quite despairing. I mean, you go for your walks, you come back in. You try to keep some level of routine. Uh, but it's very little comfort at this time. And, uh, you, know, you know, the psalmist says, you know, my foot would have slipped, you know, had the Lord not underpinned me. And uh, so we love to share with you this morning and lift up the name of Jesus. I want to read uh, from a passage of scripture for those who are Bible readers. It's the gospel of Luke. And it's a very well known piece of scripture. But Luke chapter 19, just very quickly this morning, I hope this will bless you. And I hope this will give you a glimpse into who Jesus is, the sort of character and the sort of love that he has for you, um, not the misrepresentations that we have seen throughout in many, many places in our city and around our country. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was, a, he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, 
but could not because of the crowd, for he was short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house, because you also are a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It mightn't mean much to you, this story, but if you understand the background of it, this is the city of Jericho. I've actually, I haven't been to Jericho, but I've passed by it. At the time I was there, it was a security alert on there. There was bombs going off in Jericho, but it's about 16 miles from Jerusalem. It's the most ancient city in the world, and it's the lowest city in the world. It's 850 feet below sea level. And it's a city of commerce and has been a city of commerce for, as I said, the longest city, a lived-in city on the planet. And he was a collaborator with the Roman government. The Romans had now conquered Jerusalem for many years. Israel had been under successive regimes, never really thrown off the shackles and got its independence back. And so he became a collaborator, a tax collector for the Romans. The only way I can explain that to you is like looking at World War II. I like watching all things World War II. I'm fascinated by that, uh, that battle against the axis of evil. But just recently I saw, uh, watched a documentary on, on the underground, uh, uh, the resistance underground in Holland at the time and how they were filtering money to the resistance, so on and so forth. But there was a famous line of a, a man called an untouchable. He was a Dutch collaborist who basically infiltrated and turned in many, many of the Dutch resistance and turned over hundreds of Jews as well as pillaging money from them. And so Zacchaeus would have been looked upon like this by his own Jewish people. He was a turncoat. He had worked for the enemy. He works for the enemy. And on top of that, not only was he taking the taxes that the, that the Romans were looking, he was also lining his own pockets. He was a greedy little man. Uh, you know, and yet when you look at him and you, you begin to read from the story, his name means pure. You know, it's interesting. I can imagine when he was born, when mom and dad looked at him, like every mom and dad, they must have delighted over their child. You know, we have the great news to know that we have another grandchild on the way. Our son, Nick, and, and his wife, Karina, and August have, have number three on the way. And we, what a delight children are to us. But Zacchaeus was a delight. When mom and dad looked at him, they saw, and they saw something pure. And they gave him the name pure. He knew the meaning of his name. But can you imagine, you know, not being able to live up to your name? Imagine, you know, coming into life and embracing consciousness and developing as a child into young adolescence, into adulthood, and not even able to live up to your own ideals or the ideals of other people. And so this man, he quickly began to see whatever my parents think of me. You know, the reality is today, if our moms and dads knew half of what went on in our minds, they would disown us. And so this man knew the evil of his own nature. He knew that no matter what name you give me, there's something working inside in me that's twisting and distorting and turning me and, and bringing me down the wrong direction. I'm sure this times he tried to resist it, his greedy little nature, his way of always trying to make a buck, uh, you know, to get ahead. Maybe with small man syndrome, <laughs> you know, always trying to up himself and make himself look bigger. Maybe he was bullied. I don't know what his background was, but I can tell you one thing. He didn't live up to his name. He was nothing like that. He became, he became a parasite to the community. His community hated him. And yet, yet there's something in the heart. This is a son of Abraham. This is a child of God, a fallen child of God. I want to tell you, I don't, I don't know your story, how impure your life has become. I don't need to know how impure your life has become. I'm sure it's quite vile. If it was nothing like mine, or Charlie's or Marie's or anybody, we're all start in the same place. There's darknesses in us, friends, that we don't want even want to start to articulate because it's shameful, the thought pattern, the behavior, the lacks we are so lacking, we don't even come close to our ideals of purity. Oh, there's flashes of, uh, you know, there's flashes of inspiration. There's times when, you know, things can look, uh, you know, a little bit better, but they're short-lived. But something gripped the heart of Zacchaeus. I can only imagine it was from the previous few verses in chapter, in chapter 18. 
Because in the previous few verses, Jesus is on his way into Jericho and a blind man comes out to meet him. And this blind man is literally shouting above the crowd. And eventually Jesus, cutting the long story shorter, Jesus meets this blind man. He says, what do you want me to do? I want to see. And he heals this blind man. And you can imagine the euphoria that was spilling into Jericho as Jesus is coming in. The crowds are milling around him. This miracle had only been done outside the gates and he's walking into Jericho. And of course, Zacchaeus is a guy that he has his ear to the ground. Anything happens in Jericho, Zacchaeus knows about it. You know, If some Jew has an extra barrel of oil and he's not declaring it, he's heard about it. He's got his informants and he hears about Jesus who he's already heard about because the name of Jesus was beginning to become famous in the region. Much to the dislike of religious people, the religious institutions didn't like him. He threatened all things religious. Just want you to bear that in mind. You know, the worst, sometimes the worst representations we have of Jesus is institutionalized religion, friends. Sometimes it bears no resemblance to him. Jesus said, you know, foxes have their holes, the birds of the, nest have their, the, the, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You look at religion and it's, just, it's, it's gilded to the, to the heights, friends, with money and prosperity and has no time for the poor. But Jesus was about people. He came to seek and to save. That was his mission. Not to build more glory for himself, friends. Not to build temples in his memory, friends. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so Jesus is coming in. And Zacchaeus would have heard of this Jesus. As I said, he's a connected man. He's a wealthy man. He's a parasite, he's hated, but in the community of tax collectors, there's a fraternity, I'm sure, that they all sit there, expensive Napoleon brandies and smoke their cigars, friends, and talk about the world and how great they've made it. But there's something in the core of this man that he's unhappy. He's deeply unhappy. And, you know, Jesus said that what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know, many of us, we've built up lives around us, and now, you know, the entire world is at a place where everything is shaken. Doesn't matter how much money you're accumulating in a bank, you might not have a job next month. It could be gone within a few months. You may not be able to get your son holiday. You may not be able to go. And friends, things may never change. Who knows? Jesus might come back next year. He might come back the year after. He might come back tomorrow. You might die tomorrow. I might die tomorrow. The reality is there's nothing certain in this life until you meet Jesus. And this man felt the vulnerability. Zacchaeus, he's not loved. He's hated. His name is pure. He feels impure. He's driven by his true core of need. And that's the reality. True encounters with God are come from a place on the innermost core of a man or a woman says, I am just not happy with life. It doesn't satisfy. I thank God for my children, my grandchildren, my wife, my mother, my family. They're wonderful, but they're not enough. And so this man hears about this healing Jesus. He's, he's heard he's heard, healed people in Jerusalem. He's raised people from the dead. He's opened deaf ears. He's preaching a gospel of the kingdom of salvation. A love of God revealing the Father as being a God of love. His idea was, I'm so far from God. If there is a God there, he would want nothing to do with me. But that's not true. God wants something to do with you. The biggest lie in this world is that sinners think that God is against them. God's for you. He chases you down. He comes after you, knocks at the door. And so this, this tax collector, this parasite, you could say, this little mean man, he hears he's coming in, but he's small. He's four foot nothing, probably. And he can't see beyond the crowd, but he's driven by his desperation. He's vulnerable, because in a crowd like that, without protection around him, I mean, somebody, who could blame them? <laughs> you know, who could blame them? Eventually, he runs ahead of the crowd. He's a smart guy. <laughs> you know, you can see everything about this man. He's watching the crowd. He watches the play. He sees everything. He says, I can't get him this way, but I'm going to go up this tree here because he's going to pass by. And I'm going to have a look at this character that everybody's talking about. And he's up in the sycamore tree and he's looking down. You can imagine the crowds are milling. Jesus is walking into, into Jericho. There's an atmosphere. There's, a, there's an excitement. And this, this Jewish tax collector, this impure Zacchaeus is up this tree and Jesus walks by and Jesus points him out. Hallelujah. See, the Son of Man points you out. He knows who you are. He knows your address. He knows what flats you're sitting in. He knows your apartment, your house number. He knows your secret sins. He also knows the desires of your heart for salvation. He knows the desire that you want to be free. He knows that in your core you want a relationship with him. And so he comes to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly because I want to go to your house. I'm going to go to your house today. Now, you know, that might, again, culturally to us, that doesn't sound a lot. 
But Jesus was risking his reputation. Zacchaeus was a collaborator. I mean, if you want to build your new religion, Jesus, that's the last person in the world you want to be hanging out with because you're going to lose the heart of the people. And immediately the people rose up in their hearts. Look, he is going into the house of a sinner. And Zacchaeus knew it. Zacchaeus knew that Jesus was risking everything to become his friend. I want to tell you, God risked everything by becoming our friend. He laid aside his reputation, the Bible says. Humbled himself, became as a man and humbled himself even to a death of a cross, friends. Why? Because he laid aside everything to become your friend, to be able to walk into your life and become your friend and bring you through the storm that the devil has created in this world. And Zacchaeus is so touched. There is a repentance in Zacchaeus. See, a true encounter with God is not just verbal. There's actions come immediately from it. Zacchaeus has endorsed Christ's invitation to come into his life. He gets down off that tree and the first thing he says, Lord, if I have, first of all, Lord, I'm giving away half of my wealth. Now I want to tell you one thing, man. That's how you really know an Irishman's a Christian when he starts to give. We can be as bad as the Scots and the tourists. They can, pick a, they can peel an orange in their pocket wearing a boxing glove. I'm sorry about that, Scots people. That's what they say. But they say the Irish can be as bad. But when God changes your life, do you know when God started to change the lives of men and women in this church? Things like feed cork was born out of it. You know, tens of thousands of euros out of average citizens going in to buy food, to help people that we have no association with and have nothing in common with much of the time. Why? Because Jesus came into our lives. That's what happened. He was wanting to Lord, I'm giving away half of what I owe. And if I've ever taken a penny from someone I shouldn't have, I'm going to restore four times as much. To see, that's how you know a man or a woman has an encounter with God. Their lives change. You can imagine in that crowd, all the fingers and all the voices stopped for a moment because they said, you know what? I get it now. I often used to hear it. I, I, I heard your disclaimer in your testimony, Charlie. You know, I wasn't one of the Cray twins. You know, I wasn't. Because there's this misnomer that the only people that become born again Christians are, you know, guys that have done time and drugs. And thank God many of us were like that. And many of us were choir boys. You know, didn't do too much. I, had a fr- I have a friend in America called Lenny Pazalia. I remember him sharing his testimony how he became a Christ- Christian. And he shared that testimony in front of a load of death row prisoners in Florida prison. And he stood up in front of these boys that were tattooed and gangs and they were rough, they were in for life. And he stood this a skinny little average sized guy, Italian guy. He says, well, I, I really don't have anything in common with you. He said, I don't think I've ever done anything really wrong in my life except I threw a snowball at a truck one day and, uh, <laughs> on a snowing day and I got caught for it, he said. And everybody laughed. Every prisoner laughed in the house because what he was trying to say, I might not have done what you've done, but I have still fallen short of the glory of God. I have humbled myself to know that I'm no better than you and I'm no worse than you. I need God like you need God. I want to tell you, there was actually a huge move among those prisoners because they began to see, thank God I'm not being judged as the worst sinner, the best sinner. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you can imagine the crowd that were ready to, 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 to really just oust Jesus and, and, and Zacchaeus when they see the power of the kingdom of God transforming the heart and mind and behavior of a, of a collaborator. Every voice is silenced. It tells me this morning that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, if you take his invitation, that it will have an effect upon your life. And I can tell you, it will sedate a lifetime of foolishness. Even your family that have known you to be just the arrogant or angry or the drunk or whatever it might be. All of a sudden when the life of God comes in, there's a generosity comes into you. It's not from you, it's from him. That man was changed. For the first time in his life, he feels pure on the inside. Can you imagine going to bed tonight, having that sense of being forgiven? Having that sense of God being in your life and for you and with you. Well, that's what Zacchaeus had. He brought Jesus into his house. He brought him into his life. And that's the story of the gospel. The gospel is not some form of ritual that you commit. Some Ave Maria, nice to see you. You walk out the door the same way you came in. Christianity is life transforming. Christianity is where the Holy Spirit comes in. 
Christianity is where every individual, born again, Christian, man, woman and child, can say for themselves that I've asked Jesus Christ into my life to forgive me and be Lord of my life. And everything changed. And anything good you see in me is because of him. And so, friends, that's why it's good news this morning. That's why you hear these testimonies. That's why Marie came up here as an Irish girl, you know, from Tipperary. Is it Tip, Marie? What? Westmead, country punking all together, you know, and off to America, indulging in a life, thinking that this is the life. There's so much to her testimony, you don't even know, friends. You know, she rose quite highly even in her career, and she, she fluttered along a high society, but there's a core of absolute need of God. Nothing can satisfy her. She was probably closer to a Zacchaeus than he was, than Charlie was. <laughs> the female version, just in case you think that the virtue of men and women are different, we are all the same. Just in case you think because I'm a woman, I'm somehow uh, uh, inferior or superior to a man. We are all the same. Men are not superior and men are not inferior. We are the same. We're different, but we're the same. Our nature's friends, our behavior, our need of God, our need of forgiveness, our need of love, our need of knowing the hand of God in our life. And Zacchaeus went through a transformation in his life. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to his house because he also is the son of Abraham. But the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. How can you resist? I ask you this morning, don't resist. How can anyone resist? The overture of God through, his, through, through ordinary people. That's how the gospel is always propagated, friends. Men and women that stand before you and say, I have discovered something. Or should we probably say, rediscovered something. It's always been there. A love, a joy, a forgiveness. A new life that comes in, a power that comes in to set you free, break you free. Produced fruit in keeping with repentance. Everything happens at the point of that encounter with God. And so when, when you know that the message of Christ is to seek and to save that which is lost, then you have to understand it's the love of God that drove that plan. He loved you and he still loves you. And he makes his appeal to you this morning and every morning hereafter. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said, is any man, any woman, any boy, any girl would hear my voice and open the door. So that's a deliberate action. There's an opening of the door of your life. That's where you have to respond. It's not mental assent. So I think that's true. You can think it's true. I want to tell you, the devil thinks it's true. But to know it's true means you open the door and say, Jesus Christ, come in. Forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. And God, by your grace and your power, Lord, I will stop offending people. By your grace and your power, oh God, I will stop hurting people. By your grace and power, Lord, I will become a conduit of your love. I will manifest who you are. And that's what happened to Zacchaeus. I'm telling you, God restored the purity. I want to tell you one thing. Some people people thought he was barking up the wrong tree that day, but he barked up the right tree, amen, when he came onto that sycamore tree. That rich man barked up the right tree for the first time in his life and discovered a God that reached up to him. And I want to tell you, God is reaching up to you, reaching down to you wherever you are. My hope is that you would hear his heart for you today. And if you don't, then just remember the cross. Just remember the brutality. Who was that actor that bought that movie a few years ago? Mel Gibson. The Passion of the Christ. I remember we, as a church, we actually rented in movie theater and we gave free tickets to anybody who wanted to come in to see The Passion of the Christ. We managed to share the gospel at the end. But I remember watching it myself and I'm thinking, well, I brought my four-year-old son at the time, Tristan, and I'm trying to shield his eyes of course the more blood the better for the kids of course it was like yeah but anyway I, I, I am I am moved by the brutality of it and actually in fact when I read into crucifixion when I read about what they did the pain levels that were imposed upon Christ when I read about what they did before the crucifixion at the Praetorium when they literally plucked out of his face his beard that means flesh was torn from him teeth were knocked out of him they beat him to it where most normal men would have died and he could not physically carry. They had to get Simon of Serene to help him carry a cross. Jesus was only stumbling with that cross. Basically, Simon had to carry that cross. Most men would have died. You know, friends, it wasn't some sort of dignified thing. Do you know they stripped him naked? Oh, yeah. 
There's nothing lovely about it. There's no loincloth, friends. They, they were particularly, to, to, in every way they could, to strip the dignity, to strip the claims, the brutality visited upon them. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And he says to you, for all the evil that you've caused him, for all the evil that you've said and done the lifetime of it, none of it, none of that is greater than his, the price that he paid. I don't care what you have done, and I'm sure there's some evil out there and people who are watching, but none of what you have done is greater than that cross and the love that comes from that cross. It dwarfs every sin and all sin and the, and the collection of everybody's sin, the sum total of every sin, of every age, of every generation, of every tribe, tongue, and kindred. It dwarfs it. That's the love of God poured out for you this morning. My prayer would be that you would open your heart and say, Jesus, like Zacchaeus, come into my house. Forgive me, Lord, and I will forgive others. Forgive me, Lord, and I will give to others. Forgive me, Lord, and I will live for you. And Jesus says, I will come in. And I will live in you and through you. And that is the transaction of becoming a real Christian as opposed to a religious person. We're not talking about ritual. We're talking about relationship. And I would ask you this morning in the close of the service, maybe Andy, you might have just a song in close and you can just come up behind me. I ask you to bow your head and pray with me. And Christian, those who have given their hearts to the Lord, maybe for you to have a fresh glimpse of the love of God and the kindness of God that he's shown you in your life, to be able to lift up holy, close your eyes with me and lift up holy hands and simply thank him this morning and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you endured for me, Lord, and God, for the indifference I've shown you, Jesus. Even as a born-again believer, I'm so forgetful. But you who don't know him yet but want to know him, I would ask you to close your eyes and raise your hands like this, raising your hands to God it's like a child lift, wanting to be lifted up. It's like an act of surrender. It's also like an act of worship. And with your hands out before you and your eyes closed, why don't you pray this prayer with me? Make it your words. I'm going to give you words, but they have to, they're only to help you to articulate what God is saying to you. But you have to mean it from your heart. And if you mean it from your heart, the transaction will happen that the Holy Spirit of God will come into you and you will be born again. I may never meet you. We may never meet until we get to heaven, but you will be born again at that point and the Holy Spirit will guide you. Find yourself a Bible, find yourself a church. Tune in regularly here. We'll help you in your journey. Father, this is what you pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so sorry. I started out pure when my mom and dad brought me into this world, but I am so wicked today. I have not lived up to the expectations of others or myself. I've fallen so far away from what is righteous and holy and good. And I mask it so well that a lot of people don't even realize it. Some people do, Lord. But Lord, you see me and you see me for who I am. And I know you love me and I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to come into my life. This has to be your prayer. You have to say it to him. I ask you to come into my life. Change me. Fill me. Do what you did to Marie, Lord, that, that sense of your spirit. Let me sense your spirit. Do what you did for Charlie, Lord, as he opened the word, Lord. Your words begin to flood him and change him. Do it for me, Lord God. Do what you did for Zacchaeus, Lord God, a collaborator, Lord, a, a, an enemy of the state and the people. And yet you changed him, Lord. Change me like you've changed millions of others. Fill me with your peace today, Lord. May I raise my head up, Lord, for the first time in a long time and feel pure and clean because of the blood of your covenant because of your cross and your death and your resurrection thank you for enduring such hostility for me thank you for forgiving me thank you for hearing me in Jesus precious name and Christian stay keep your head bowed with me Christian now thank God for your salvation everyone this morning begin to thank God for your salvation thank you Jesus thank you for saving me thank you for loving me Thank you for filling me. And thank you, Lord, for the hope that I have in your promises today, Lord. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for loving me. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 
If you have any questions at all, you could email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.